Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, if you're a guest or visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King, and uh, we are glad that you're here. Uh, if you are new uh, to us, if this is your first or second Sunday, or, or maybe it's been a number of Sundays, but uh, we haven't had an opportunity to meet, I would love to meet you after the service. So if you have time to stick around, I'd, I'd love to greet you and welcome you, uh, because we are glad that you're here. Um, whether this is your first Sunday being in church or your uh, 101st Sunday being in church, we are all in need of the grace of the gospel. We are all in need of the saving power of Christ. We are all in need of God's mercy to be showered upon us. That's why we gather together, not only to sing praise, but to be reminded of what it is that God has done on our behalf. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning that shows us what God has done comes from Psalm 67. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the passage is also printed in your order of service, Psalm 67. Uh, this psalm... Um, well, just last week, if you recall, if you were with us last week, we looked at a psalm where uh, the, the psalmist was declaring that one generation will declare the good works of God to another, the gospel to another. So we, we saw that the psalm and the, the scriptures itself are concerned with this multi-generational faith. And that is absolutely true. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, what we're going to see is that the Bible and the scriptures are not simply concerned with a multi-generational faith but a multinational faith. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our God and our King, that is our prayer this morning, that you would be gracious to us, that you would bless us, that you would cause your face to shine upon us as we come to your word. So we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would unstop our ears, and that you would soften our hearts so that here we would be filled with great joy and gladness. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Ben, can you turn me down a little? I'm getting echo again, so thank you. Um, so I want us to begin this morning with a little thought experiment, a little thought experiment. So I want you guys to think about um, your neighbor or uh, maybe a friend, a coworker, maybe it's a family member. I want you to think of someone that you know. It doesn't have to be a Christian. It could be a non-Christian. It doesn't have to be uh, someone who uh, is in your same profession. It could really be anyone. I, I want you to just think of someone that you know. And I, wanna, I want you to think about what, what they would respond or how they would answer a simple question. What is the most foundational need for the world today? If you were to ask your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers that question, what do you think they would say? I imagine that if we asked them that question, we would get a whole host of different answers, right? We would get some people who'd say, what the world needs now is peace. That's what we need. 
because violence seems to be erupting all around us, right? Violence erupted again in Haiti this past week, and, and if we look to the Middle East, it seems as though peace has never been there in the Middle East, and so what the world needs is peace. It's not a bad answer. Maybe others would say economic opportunity, right? Because, because people are in poverty, and what they need is not simply aid, but they need an opportunity to develop skills and maybe create business and, and work and so that they could earn a living and provide for their families. Economic opportunity, that's what the world needs. Maybe others would say freedom, right? We need to throw off dictatorial rule, and we need free elections and to have government for ourselves. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe others would say love. I mean, after all, that's what the song says, right? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Maybe it's love. Maybe others would simply say the world. Who cares about the world? I live in America, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was my attempt at a southern accent. Um, <laughs> it's southern Ontario, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine we would hear all sorts of answers, wouldn't we? And all of those answers aren't bad. They're not bad answers. Maybe the forget the world, all we care about is here. Maybe that's the bad answer. But the rest of them are not bad, right? I mean, peace and economic flourishing and love, those are all good things. We would want that for the nations. We would want that for the world. We would hear those things and probably others like it. But, but what would we say? How would we answer that question? You know, the psalm helps us to answer that question because the psalm is very concerned with the world and very concerned with the nations, right? Right at the very center of the psalm in verse 4, it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And so clearly the psalmist isn't limiting his concern to simply Israel, but his vision is extending to the whole world. But how will the world, how will the nations be blessed? How will they be glad? How will they be filled with joy? Well, the psalmist tells us it's through blessing. It's by being blessed. It's how it begins. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Blessing is what the world needs. Now, now that's an interesting word. That's a very churchy word. Um, it's a very churchy word. Uh, if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably never heard the word blessing in a normal conversation. Um, I remember the first time someone actually said that to me, you've been blessed. It was a little bizarre. I was a freshman in college. Remember, I was uh, this non-Christian who had moved to South Carolina from Canada. I'd been transplanted into this tiny little town, and I was having a conversation with a girl on the cross-country team, and we were talking about something I have no idea, I have no recollection of what we were talking about, but I do remember at some point I said something along the lines of, yeah, I'm really lucky, or I'm very lucky, or boy, wasn't that lucky, and she stopped me and corrected me and said, no, 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 Penny, you're not lucky, you're blessed. And I had no idea what she meant. Because no one had ever used that word in a common uh, conversation to me before. To be blessed. So clearly I, I understood that this was one of those uh, strange religious people that I had only heard about. <laughs> and now I was seeing them in their natural context. Um, and, uh, and so I had no idea what she was talking about. What does it mean to be blessed? Now we take that word for granted because we use it in our common vernacular all the time. Right? As church people, we use it all the time, and rightfully so, because it's in scriptures all over the place. 
right? In fact, our psalm begins in verse 1, as I already mentioned, God be gracious to us and bless us. And then verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says, God shall bless us. So what do we mean by this? What does scripture mean? Well, blessing at its, at its most basic, at its most foundational, simply is God's favor. It's God's provision, his care for his people. And so that's what the psalmist is saying that we and the nations need. We need God's favor. And how does this come about? How does this blessing manifest itself? Well, the first way it shows itself often in our minds, the way we maybe think of blessing, is material blessing. Right? We have homes and jobs and food. And, and that's true. All those things come from the hand of God. Right? We're constantly trying to impress that upon our children. Right? Everything that we have, the good day that we have, that is a reflection of God's care for us. The clothes that we have, that's God providing for us. That there is material blessing to be had. And actually, the psalmist speaks of that in verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. The ancient Near East was a culture that was dependent upon God for what they needed to live, right? They were an agricultural community. And so if the rains didn't come, if the sun was blocked by the clouds, if the earth was desolate, if they didn't have seed, then they had no food and they starved. And so they understood very poignantly that everything that they had was from the very hand of God, that God opened up the heavens and made it rain, that God parted the clouds and caused the sun to shine that God gave them the soil, and that the harvest that came was by the hand of God causing that seed to grow. They understood that everything that they had, and we should understand that everything that we have, our homes, our jobs, our clothes, our food, our friends, all of these daily, everyday experiences are reflections of God's blessing, God's favor. So there's material blessing, but there's also spiritual blessing. That's how the psalmist began. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, this is almost an exact duplication of the ironic blessing benediction of numbers. I said ironic, not ironic. <laughs> it's called the ironic blessing because it's given to Aaron, the first high priest over Israel. And in Numbers, God instructs the high priest that he is to declare a blessing on the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then God gives a little commentary about what this means. He says to the high priest, so shall they, the priests, in doing this blessing, in giving this benediction, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So what God is saying is that when this benediction is declared over the people, when they receive this word of blessing, what God is doing is saying that these are mine. I am putting my name on these people. They are my own possession. That he is going to look favorably upon them. And that's what it means that God's face would shine upon us. That God would look upon us with favor. You see, God turning his face to his people, he does this as a sign of good disposition, of inward pleasure towards that to whom he's looking on. It's the complete opposite of God turning his face away. So we actually hear this throughout the Psalms. The psalmist will ask God not to hide his face or not to turn his face away. Because it, 
for God to turn his face away from his people or away from the psalmist is to indicate that he is judging that person. It's to indicate a disposition of of anger or displeasure. But that's not what God does to his people. Instead, he shines his face upon us. Like the proud father or mother who looks upon their child and, and their face just glows. You've seen that before. Right? You, watch, you watch your child doing that thing that they were made to do. To be brave or courageous. Right? You, you see them do and your face just lights up. It glows. You've seen parents do that. You've been the recipients of that from your own father or mother. Well, that's how God looks upon us. His face shines upon us. Now, it shines upon us not because we're beautiful in of ourselves, not because we're great or powerful, right? In fact, in fact, in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that many of you are not even wise in concerning the ways of the world, right? In comparison to the world as the world would define wise. And not many of you are strong according to the way that the world would define strong. And, and God even says to Israel in Deuteronomy, I didn't choose you because you were the strongest or the most powerful, powerful or the most beautiful simply chose you because I love you. God shines his face, his face of favor upon his people, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done, because of the power of his salvation. That's what we see in verse 2. You're saving power among all the nations, that, that this power is going out to the nations. Now, before we talk about the nations, we have to talk about us, because this salvation that will one day go out into the nations actually comes to us, to his people. That that's how we become his people, his saving power, his shining face turning towards us. This powerful salvation, it comes to us through his son. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of Christ. I mean, the Bible is very clear. It's very clear that God's power to save is accomplished by Jesus taking our sin upon himself, being judged in our place and defeating death through his resurrection. And in doing this, he makes us his own. So now that God looks upon us with favor, God's smiling face looks upon us as though we were Christ because we have been united to Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20. He says that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith, I live in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That we've been united to Christ. And because we have, there's a day coming when the Father will look upon us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What wonderful words we will hear. That God will actually stand before us and we will stand before him and he will not close the door on us. He will not send us away from his presence, but he will invite us near and he will say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. He will not look upon us with a face of judgment, but a face that shines. What a beautiful picture. What a wonderful reality that he looks upon his people in that way. He looks upon you right now in that way because of Christ. His face shines upon us. God's powerful work of salvation in and through us. That is the blessing of God. 
That is the blessing of God's grace that comes through his son. But what does that have to do with the nations? Because that's where we began, right? The world, the nations. What does that have to do with them? Everything. It has everything to do with them. Because we have been blessed in this way so that we would be a blessing. Look at verse 1. I want you to notice the repeated word. Look for it as I read it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. What's the repeated word? Three times it's used. What is it? Us. That's right. Us. God's people. God bless us. God be gracious to us. God shine your face upon us. Why? Well, look at verse 2. That. <laughs> All right. The word that, that word that, it is introducing a purpose clause. The reason why the psalmist is asking for God's people to receive God's grace, his blessing, his face shining upon us is verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. What the psalmist is declaring is that the reason for God's blessing to come to his people, to be showered upon the people of God, is so that that blessing would then go out into the nations. I mean, look at how broad it is. Verse 2, all the nations. Verse 3, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And in case we miss it, he says it again in verse 5. All the peoples, all the nations. God's glory and his blessing, it is not to be contained and held on to by one group of people, but his power is to be made known throughout all the earth so that the nations would know our God, so that the nations would have joy and be glad. And so what this means is that we are conduits of blessing, not buckets of blessing. You know what a bucket is used for? Kids, you, you know buckets, right? Buckets have a top or an opening on the top and, and sides and bottoms and, and you just fill it full, right? And sometimes we can think about our salvation that way, right? It's, it's this bucket of blessing and so God's mercy and grace, I stick it in the bucket, and, and his care and his face shining upon me, I, I grab it and I stick it in the bucket and I keep pushing it down and pushing it down so I can get more grace and, and more blessing and more shining face and more mercy and I'll stick it down. I can carry this bucket around with me and maybe I'll put a lid on it so none of the blessing flows out. And every time I need a little bit more mercy or a little bit more grace, I'll just put it down, I'll open my, my top and I'll take out a little bit of blessing, but I'll put the lid back because I don't want it to overflow. I want to keep it for myself, right? That's sometimes how we think of our salvation. But, but what's amazing is that we are not buckets of blessing, but we are conduits of blessing, right? You know what a conduit is. It's a, just a pipe. It's a pipe that allows water or gas or cable to flow from one place to another, right? A conduit exists to take something that, where, where something is, to take water where it is located and move it to a place where it is not. That's why a conduit exists, to allow the water or the cable or the gas to flow from one place to another, and that's what we are to be, conduits of God's blessing. We do not hold God's grace and mercy simply for ourselves, but it is to overflow in and through us to others, to the nations. That's what this passage is telling us. We are to be conduits of God's blessing so that the nations would know our God. And this has been the scope of God's mission from the very beginning. It was never intended to be limited to one people. It was never intended to be limited to Israel. 
I mean, Genesis chapter 12, right? The great promise that God makes to Abram before he was Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see how expansive God's vision is? Abraham, this isn't just for you and for your posterity. It's not just for you and your little nation. It's for the world. In Isaiah 49, God speaks to his servant that is to come, the Messiah, the Christ. And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you hear that? The Messiah just, just saved Jacob and Israel. That is, yes, be a blessing to them. But, but God's vision for his Messiah, for the Christ, is that the nations would be blessed. It's too little of the thing that would just be Israel or Jacob. I could point to time after time in the Old Testament of where we see God's vision for his grace and mercy going forth that is never to be limited to Israel. Right? Jonah he takes the word of the Lord to Nineveh. He had to be dragged there, but that's the way that the Lord was working. Right? We could point to other places in Isaiah where the nations are pouring forth. They're coming into the people of God. And we can look to the New Testament in Matthew 24 where Jesus says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. You see, friends, the constant and continued theme of Scripture is that the saving power of God will be proclaimed into all the earth. That this will bring gladness and songs of joy to the world. That the gospel of Christ would be proclaimed. This means at least two things for us. It means a lot of things, but it means at least two things. The first is that only true, true joy and true praise will only come through the saving work of Christ. That what it is that the nations are longing for and what it is that our neighbors are hoping for can only find fulfillment in Christ. Now, this is very contrary to our popular understandings of religion because as we interact with those who come from uh, different places, it is easy or often said that, that religious belief is historically or culturally contingent. In other words, the only reason that we are Christians and we believe what we believe is because we're American or because we're Southern or because we're from Virginia. I mean, maybe you've heard people say that. If you have grown up in another part of the world, well, you wouldn't be Christian. You'd be Buddhist or Muslim. I actually have a friend who is uh, ethnically Indian. He, he's, he was born in Kuwait, but he spent his entire life in India. His parents were born and lived in India. And he's a Christian, he believes in the Lord, and he said that this is often the conversation he has with his family members who are in India or his friends that he knows still in India. They say things like, well, if you had been born in India or lived your whole life in India, well, you'd be Hindu like we are. You wouldn't really be Christian. Now, if you haven't heard that, you will at some point. That our faith is culturally contingent. It is culturally formed. But friends, this passage and the whole of Scripture actually tells us the very opposite. 
It tells us actually that the gospel is not contained by history or culture, but that, that it transcends culture because it comes from the God who created culture. That, that the gospel actually breaks down cultural barriers and unites us to God. It doesn't make people more Western. It doesn't make them American. It makes them Christian. <laughs> that the gospel is for all the nations. It is to go into all places so that all would turn and repent and believe in Christ. That's the first thing it means. The second thing that this means, that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing, is that your salvation, as good as it is and as important as it is and as sweet as it is, is not just for you. It's not just for you. It is for you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's, just, it's not just for you. It's for the sake of the mission of God, that the nations would be glad and sing for joy. Now listen, this doesn't mean all of us are called to be foreign missionaries. It doesn't mean that tomorrow all of us need to go and start raising support and need to quit our jobs and move to other countries. Um, that's not what it means. So some of you just went, whew. <laughs> I was getting a little nervous there, Pastor. No, that's not what it necessarily means. Because the truth is, is that some of us are actually called to be here. We talk about calling, right? A pastor is called, missionaries are called to go to these places. But you are called. You are called too to be right here, some of you. To proclaim the gospel to your neighbors and your coworkers. Because last I checked, America is part of the nation's. Right? The nations isn't just Chile and South Africa and the Philippines. It's right here. And the nations are actually flocking to us, right? They're coming to America and they're coming to Roanoke. And so we have opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So some of us are called to stay and to proclaim right here and to pray and to give money and to send others. But, but some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to take the gospel into other places. Some of our children are. Kids, do you hear that? Some of you might be called to go move to another land, to another country, to another nation, to take the gospel to that place. And parents, as hard as that might be for us, we need to send them. We need to be okay with that. We need to rejoice at the fact that, yes, it would be hard for us not to have every Christmas with them or to even watch our grandchildren raised up, but that for the sake of the gospel going to the nations, that we would joyfully send our children to proclaim the truth of God to other places. This is why. This is why we pray and send Rachel Sloan to Bulgaria and the Canes to Japan. And this is why we have campus pastors on different campuses throughout Virginia to proclaim to the nations the goodness of God. The gospel going forth, that is why we have been blessed. That we would be a blessing. That we would not hold it to ourselves, but that we would give it away. This reminds me of a theme that uh, I, I was confronted by in, in a movie recently. Uh, my family and I have been going through the Marvel Universe movies. Um, so uh, 
I've seen them all, but, um, but it's time for the kids to come along. So uh, they're at that age where we feel like it's appropriate. They can, they can watch them. And so the other night we watched Black Panther. I know it's out of order, but I hadn't watched it, so I, I need to watch it. So we watched Black Panther, and Black Panther centers on this uh, nation called Wakanda. It's a fictional African country. And to the outside world, this country is just a poor country of farmers, and they have nothing to give to the world. But in reality, if you've seen the movie, in reality, uh, they have this incredible technology because they've been blessed in this land with this, the most powerful metal in the world. I, I forget what it's called. But, but they have this metal that gives them great technology. And so they can actually hide themselves from the world. And so in their hiding, in the keeping of this blessing to themselves, they've been able to create uh, technology and, and, um, and health uh, benefits and, and protection of themselves and heal diseases, they're able to solve all these sorts of problems, these things that the rest of the world would only dream of, they're able to do it. Now, one of the themes that is constantly portrayed in this movie is what are they to do with this blessing? Because there are some in Wakanda, and for the history of its nation, they've held this blessing to themselves. They've kept it at bay. They, they don't want it to go out to the nations because what would the nations do with it? And if we give it away, well, then does that mean that we'll have less of it? And so we have to contain it. We have to hold it to ourselves. And so this theme is constantly being wrestled over and discussed throughout the movie until the very end when the king of Wakanda, I've, I've, give, I've skipped a lot of the movie, so, so you, you can still go watch it, and I haven't ruined it, I promise. But at the very end of the movie, the king of Wakanda stands before the United Nations and he says to them that, that this, uh, this small African nation is no longer going to keep their blessings to themselves, but that they're going to share it with the world. And one of the members of the UN, he raises his hand and he says, what is this small African poor farming country going to give to the rest of the world? And I wonder if, when we give the message of the gospel to others who have never heard it, if they wonder the same thing. If they wonder, what, what kind of blessing is this that you are going to share with me? But friends, the truth is, is that that message that we share is the blessing that the nations need. They may not even know that they need it, and yet that is exactly what they are longing for. That is what they are yearning for. That is what they need to bring joy and gladness. That the blessing would not be contained to ourselves. God has given us the blessing of his grace and mercy and the power of his salvation. And it is not just for us, but it is for our neighbor and our coworker, and the people in Bulgaria and the saints of Japan and the people in New Zealand. It is for every tribe and tongue and nation because Jesus has promised that there is a day coming when every tribe and tongue and language will stand before him and they will give him glory and they will give him praise because his blessing will have flown, would have reached to the utter parts of the world. God has blessed us so that we would be a blessing. He has blessed us so that we would bless others. And that we would do so with the message of salvation. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we do thank you that you in your providence and infinite wisdom have given us the privilege, has given us the privilege not only to be counted as one of your children, 
but to actually take the message of your kingdom, of your gospel, of Christ's saving power to others. And so I pray today that you would give me and give each one of us opportunity to proclaim that message so that the nations would sing for joy, so that this earth would be filled with gladness, so that our neighbors would believe and know of the saving power of Christ. Use us, we pray, in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen.